A black veil cloaked the grand forest. It hung from the under-edges of the trees and draped thickly over the bare earthen bottom of the woods. Swears hissed through the undergrowth as the pines creaked furiously overhead. A company of soldiers stood back to back in a blackened grove. There were delicate blue shields embroidered upon the tops of their sleeves. Their blue eyes flicked worriedly through the slits in their iron helmets. The darkness warred fiercely with the light cast from soldiers' torches. It pressed firmly against the outskirts of the glow, snapped into the gaps left by the sputtering flames. The night taunted them with whispered moans. Moments ago the whole forest had been rife with screams and the clang of steel. The blood that clung to the soldiers' tunics had been warm. It had glistened in the torchlight. But now the gore was dried. The bright red that had once stained their swords had wilted into the deepest black. The battle was over. A thick man marched into the middle of the huddled clump of soldiers, startling them to attention. "'We've fought them off, lads, but there's work to be done,' he bellowed in a rumbling voice. "'Bury the dead, heal the wounded. Move anyone who's been numbed out of harm's way. Step to it.' "'Yes, Lord Bassett.' His command seemed to jolt the soldiers from their fear. They sheathed their bloodied swords and began to move through the bodies that were scattered across the grove. Most of them were the mangled corpses of small, dark-skinned people with bones adorning their flesh. They wore animal hides for clothing. Some had human skulls hanging from cords around their necks. Their makeshift camp had been so carefully woven into the undergrowth that it was hardly visible— The soldiers had to venture deep into the shelters in order to cast the shadows from their moors. They piled the dark-skinned corpses in the middle of camp, tossing them away as they found them. Some of the bodies were those of the soldiers' companions, and they were set aside to be buried. But a good number of the soldiers, who appeared to be dead, actually weren't. They lay still as corpses, their chests and throats peppered with tiny, coloured darts. Their eyes twitched to follow their companions, but they seemed unable to move or speak. Bassett crouched before one of the younger men and smiled hard at the panic in his eyes. "'It's just a bit of bandit poison, lad. Nothing to worry about. You'll be back on your feet by midday tomorrow.' A wild laugh drew Bassett's eyes away from the young soldier and to the edge of the grove, where the mouth of a large lake glittered in the starlight. The shadowed figure of a man stood out against the water. He was tall and slender. The light from the torch in his hand revealed the sides of his hair to be tinged with grey. Though his head was turned half away, a hardened corner of his mouth was just visible as he stared at the thing clutched in his other hand. It was a bandit woman. She dangled from the man's hand by her throat. Her legs kicked uselessly, her fingernails scraped across his wrist in a panic. But though a dark stream oozed from his gashes, he didn't let go. Bassett winced at the sound of crunching bone and frowned as the woman's body went still. The man tossed her corpse into the undergrowth as if she weighed no more than an empty sack. Then he turned to hold his torch over the bushes, revealing a full half of his smile. "'I think I've found something that might interest you, Bassett,' he called. "'What is it, Chancellor Tristan?' Bassett said as he approached. Tristan didn't reply. He nodded into the bushes, the full power of his wicked grin fixed very firmly upon something that crouched inside. It was
was a little girl. She was perhaps no older than eight, with skin that was sun-scored but not nearly as dark as the bandit's. There were leaves tangled amongst her curls, curls that flowed in messy waves of gold and brown. Her dress was made of animal skins, and delicate bone hooks adorned her ears. Bassett leaned closer, but she kept her face buried very deeply in her arms. Her knees were pulled tight against her chest. There was a small bunch of flowers clutched in one of her tiny hands. Though she stayed remarkably still, faint gasps emanated from the crooks of her arms. Lines creased Bassett's face at the noise of her sobbing. His thick hands balled into fists. What is she, Chancellor? I got a good look at her eyes a moment ago. I think she may be one of ours, Tristan said smoothly. He thrust his torch in a sputtering arc over the bushes, but the little girl never flinched. And I thought, as Lady Bassett was so distraught over not being able to have children, you might want to take her in. If not, we'll simply burn her alongside the others. Nobody would be able to tell the difference once they're all charred. It's not as if the seas needs another orphan. I'll take her, Bassett said firmly. Tristan shrugged. Very well. See to it that she stays out of trouble, will you? Yes, Chancellor. It was only after Tristan strode out of earshot that Bassett turned back to the little girl. He dropped on his knees before her, tried to bring his face in close. After a moment, he reached out and rested one of his thick hands atop her head. Her crying stopped immediately. What's your name, child? he whispered. Slowly, her head came up. Her face was filthy, coated with grime from the woods. The tracks left by her tears showed clearly through the dirt. Her eyes were bloodshot and still wet from her sorrow. But though the whites burned red, the blues at the middle were as cold and furious as ice. "'Olivia,' she said, in a voice that held no trace of her tears. "'My name is Olivia.'